Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. I'm the host as always, Phil Brown, joined by my regular co-host, the excellent James Rhodes from United Mopeteers. This is our 11th episode and uh, we are, of course, following the result of the weekend of one win over Luton and the uh, last time we recorded was pre-Copenhagen where um, we saw another very similar game to what we've seen before, 4-3 in Champions League. It um, had positives, negatives and uh we saw a truly incredible statistic at the weekend that floored me that United are the most formed team in the Premier League over the last five games, which I did not expect. Um, first of all, Mute, how was your weekend? It was not bad. Not bad. It was uh did a lot of driving and some stuff for family things, but overall pretty good. And yours? Yeah, busy. Um I had my daughter's football game, both my girls' football games this weekend and um their awards parties, so uh very busy weekend. My daughter's birthday this week, so um been busy. So uh lots of stuff going on. And yes, we had uh United's game against Luton. Before I get there, I want to do a quick recap on the Copenhagen game because um yeah, and we'll get into Luton game. Four three, you know, it started impeccably well. Um Rasmus Hoyle getting a brace was very, very encouraging, almost scored a hat trick. Um Thought it was interesting that United scored down the right very early where Anthony wasn't playing. Wambasaka, lovely reverse pass, Scott McTominay crossed the box for the type of ball that Hoyland has been screaming for. Finishes it and uh, everything perfect. As usual with United, they find a way to, to lose a game. They self-destruct. Yeah. Now, the Marcus Rashford sending off to me is not a red card. Right, no, yeah, agreed. It is a it is a really really poor poor decision, especially when you look at what happened the following night with Endo. Mm-hmm. You look at what happened this weekend, once again with VAR making truly um, inexplicable decisions. And you know, United have had no luck with any of these. I don't think United was counting. Yeah. I think he gave United's penalty because he gave the other one, and mm-hmm. um, and then. By the end of the game, you're going, this referee has had more of an impact on the outcome of this game, almost more than any other player. Vavro should have been sent off <clears throat> for okay. his second yellow card. And I'm yep. going, this is maddening. Because yep. you're sitting here and you're going, one of the biggest determinant determinations of what the result will be will be how the VAR is used. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Especially in finally balanced games where it has a major impact on the outcome. And, but nonetheless, some of the goals United gave away just really, really poor. Diojo Dalla, once again, to me, was responsible for the first goal against Galatasaray, responsible for the second goal against Man City, responsible for the goal against Newcastle, responsible for this yep. basic defending. To me, just you know, pay attention, sense danger, what's behind you. And you can just sense the nervousness that creep into United once they have some adversity in the game. If they go behind or something, yep. something happens, the mental fragility they just collapse. Yeah, I agree, and and you know exactly that. I mean, you know, there's the VAR and there's all of that. Um, I think that you know we've been asking on here. We talked about it a few times. We've been asking for that front three. You know, somehow to figure out getting Garnacho and Rashford on the pitch at the same time. We've been asking for that. And they delivered, I think, quite well to create goals in that 20 minutes or whatever it was, obviously. And and we'll talk about them again at the weekend. But after everything, 
United are up 3-2. They're down to 10 men, but they're up 3-2. Um, and you look at it and say, you watch teams like, I'm not going to give a bunch of credit to Tottenham when they were down because they gave up a, a bunch of goals to Chelsea when they went down to nine men. Um, but you've seen performances like when Liverpool went down to 10 against uh, against Spurs earlier. Uh, you see it all over the place, but when you're up 3-2 in a Champions League game, whether you're down to 10 men or not against Copenhagen, you should be able to defend the lead. You should be able to hold steady. You should be able to see the game out for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And um, and they don't, and it's, and it's a constant basic errors, and then one goal leads to another, and you lose the draw, you end up with a loss, and... It is a it is a constant pattern of of collapse. Um, you look at how long lapse between the sending off and when it went one to two. Three. I know it was what was it ten minutes something like that. Yeah, I think was... they conceded within four minutes yep. of the uh, of the red card and then conceded again within another couple of minutes of that. Yeah. Um, so it took almost no time. And and I'm yeah. sorry. I, as soon as that sending off happened, I'm like. This game, they're not going to see this out. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. I expected exactly what happened yep. to happen. Yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, so obviously, where I think you know, Ten Hag has to take you know, I, I knew that he would go to 4 4 4 4 1 essentially, two banks yeah. of four, but um, you and I have had some discussions about this. I, I still firmly support Ten Hag, I'm not saying. He doesn't deserve criticism, but these are the things he has to be able to do. He has to be able to see these games out. Yeah. Find a way of saying, okay, we need the three points here. Let's yeah. be pragmatic. I do believe injuries have had a major impact on him. I I I getting concerned about him constantly saying players are ill. Mm-hmm. Because to me, I'm wondering, is he saying that because he doesn't want scrutiny being put on his methods that may be contributing to this? We deserve some table. I know other clubs have injuries. Newcastle have a lot of injuries too. They're not United aren't the only club, but this year a number of injuries United get. You know, Johnny Evans gets injured, goes off. Raphael Varane comes on, who we've talked about last week on this program, complaining about him not starting. United can see four as soon as he's on the field. Yeah. I mean, what 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 how would how would Raphael Varane have an argument to say I, I should be starting this team? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's 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 really challenging because it's chopped and changed so much that it's hard to see consistency from any players in terms of their performances or or whether they're the right person or the wrong person to be playing. You know, again, Johnny Evans before that injury, he played that that was his fourth game starting in ten days. He's thirty five years old, right? I don't think he started four games in 10 days in 15 years, honestly. Um, and so it's not surprising he picks up an injury. Um, Erickson goes down injured. Rasmus Hoyland picks up an injury this weekend. We have a mystery illness. That's three more injuries and one mystery illness, you know, uh, in a week. In a week. And... And that is my biggest concern in terms of the team. Like there's other things I'm sure we'll talk about, but when it comes down to these injuries and consistency, you you can't, you're never going to get consistency out of anybody. 
when the team is constantly changing. You're never going to get consistency from your forwards when you're fielding a different midfield every single game because the passing angles are going to be different. The timing is going to be different. Everything's going to be different. You're never going to get the same result, you know, when your defensive line changes every day. And, um, and so they have to deal with that. But the problem I worry about is, is what you mentioned. I don't know that there's enough introspection that's gone on into why these injuries are occurring. Uh, it's been months now we've been talking about it. And I have heard things even still similarly to indicate the same, the same issues, the same intensity in training, the same, you know, all of that, that it hasn't changed. And if it hasn't changed, then I don't expect the injury problem to change. Um, and, and that would probably be more than anything else my concern um, because ultimately you can't plan around three injuries a week, which is practically what we're getting. I think, yeah, so I think for me, a couple of things. One, um, I've listened to a lot of people talk about this. Erickson's may have been how he fell. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I've listened to uh, people talk about how players pick up non-contact injuries, and they say they usually happen when their load significantly changes. So, like Johnny Evans, right? So, if you yeah. play a player that's used to playing once a week, and then you start playing three times a week, that's when because yeah. their their muscle mass, their their body isn't built to. You have to gradually increase mm-hmm. them otherwise yeah. you will get injuries there's not a very clear threshold between when a player is going to get injured and when they are yeah. i think i read a statistic that 10 hogs had 14 different defensive lineups in 18 different games all to be fair all because of injuries right mm-hmm. um and some because of loss of form um so you're right it's impossible to get rid of them in a team that constantly changes um you know we always hear about you need the cohesion in a team and it takes time before a team finds that um, so you have Johnny Abbott's pickup injury to me as a result of him playing too much, yep, right? yep. Um, but but Rafael Varane has been injured, you know, his first game, first season at United, he missed half the Premier League, yeah, game. second season, he done the same. And then when he's coming into games that are hand intensity where he needs a couple of games to find his feet, I mean, he was appalling that, Probably, yeah, yeah. Then you know, and, yep. and you see what he did tonight. I mean, he played two games. He was two, he played in the Galatasaray game. He played in the Copenhagen game. He ended up conceded seven. Um, yep. So, um, you know, Maguire has come in, probably being one of United's best defenders. He's been able to find yep. form. Um, I think Onana has settled. Joe Portalo has is proven once again that he is a below average score yep. player. He has major problems. Wambasaka, you could see even an unfit Wambasaka wasn't significantly better yeah. than Jojo Dallow. Um yeah. and added something extra. They obviously have a big problem on the left hand side. Um and you know, I think it is very difficult to get rhythm, but I think where United's injuries are primarily common is because players are playing too much more than training. So, you know, Rasmus Hoyland should be rested. He shouldn't be playing every single week. When you look at the way City rotate through their squad, they rest their players, they don't play the same every single week. Some players that are in their prime, maybe Rodri, I mean, even they pick up injuries, get the, but you know, you, they'll, they'll bring Alvarez in, bring Alvarez out, they bring Ducky in, bring Ducky out, you know, folding in, folding out. 
United can't afford to do that because the alternative to Rasmus Hoyland is Anthony Marshall, who shouldn't be on a professional football pitch ever again, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I think if Ten Hag had the options, he probably would change it. The other problem is his front three just don't score goals. I mean, you look at the weekend, the chances that Marcus Rashford, Rasmus Hoyland, and Garnacho had were simple chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Hoyland's done well in the Champions League. Most of his goals have been against Galatasaray and Copenhagen, you know. So, but you can't miss the chance. Yeah, you can't miss the chance that he missed against Sheffield United. You you can't miss those chances. That is a simple chance, and there's a lot of things Ten Hag's responsible for, but that's not one of them. The chance that Mark Rashford missed. You know, it's classic striker and that being out of form or the prime because yep. you careful with the placement. The chance that Granacho missed cuts and says it's a piece of professional football, I hit the target. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, to me that that is unforgivable. Yeah, I, I mean I would agree. And and I think that, you know, it was good to see, you know, Tenog setting up the team and the front three the way we've wanted. That to me makes a lot of sense because when you're seeing the threat that Granacho provides even if he's not scoring and the threat that Rashford provides, even if he's not scoring, they do have an impact on the defense, you know, where Anthony has been in many ways, wholly ineffective for a long time where he's targeted by the defense. They just, they challenge him. They don't give him time and space. They just take the ball off of him often and and run. But yeah, I mean, the chance that Rashford put on for Hoyland is probably our best chance this year from a player. Frankly, I mean, outside of a penalty, you can't get much better than that. You know, as a number nine crash in the box, getting it inside that, you know, inside the yeah. tiny, tiny space, a foot out from down. goal, and it's not even going with much pace and just not really getting it into. You've got to score those. You've got even to. Even the header, Jim, like the header, yeah. the right? I mean, to me, you, you have to be taking those chances. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, you know, I, I look at that and I'm like, if you he, he scores two against the FC Copenhagen, you're thinking, okay, he's going to come back against Luton, bit of confidence. First chance he gets, he's going to put it away, and he doesn't. You're going, yeah. when does he get some momentum? When does he get confidence? Because if he's not coming back after Galatasaray game, I think the first game after Galatasaray was Brighton, where he did score that goal. Um, I could be wrong on that. Um, where it was, it didn't count, but on but unlucky. But you're going, yeah. when does he get momentum? You know, when yeah. the defenders form, Riceford goes away and scores for England. You're going, okay, comes back, can't score for United. I mean, one goal. I never thought when we recorded this podcast during the last international break that we would be recording this one at the next international break. And Marcus Riceford still wouldn't have scored a goal. Gonacho isn't scoring. You know, the last time Gonacho scored was against Palace in the Cup. Yes. And, you're, and you're going, you know, Anthony, it's been a year. I mean, that is unbelievable. That's disgraceful. I'm sorry. That is absolutely <laughs> disgraceful. <laughs> it is. And, and it's One like... One goal front line and we're in November. I know. And the only correct thing... That's belief to me. I know. I know. It, it is crazy. And the only thing you can, like, think with is that, you know, the one factor in the front line, and this is what makes it even weirder, is the front line is the only place we've had any stability in terms of players. Um Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Marcus Rashford has played, I think he had played like the six most minutes in Europe over the last year as well. Uh, Bruno Fernandes obviously being up near the top two. But they've been healthy all year. 
you know, somehow Rashford's avoided injury, Garnacho's avoided injury, Oyland's come back from his, you know, issue he had when he signed. Now maybe he's injured, unfortunately. Uh, Anthony had other issues, but avoided injury. Um, and they can't score, and they can't do it. And, I mean, I could I could say that it certainly has to do with, you know, a lot of instability through the rest of the club, the rest of the team, I should say, the, the midfield, things like that changing, angles changing, timings changing, all of that. But at the end of the day, you still have to put the ball in the net. Um, you know, and, and one of the things I think that would help – and one of the problems we still have as a, as a team overall, when you look at the performance, in my opinion, is that I think it's harder. If you look at the difference between, um, you know, uh, say Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, when you watch the Chelsea versus City game, all of that, they score a lot of goals, but they also make a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of small chances. And you get a lot more chances to get informed. Like when you take the moments that you had there, right? Yeah, Rashford should have scored that goal for sure. Um, Garnacho should have scored that goal for sure. It was also their only chance that they really had the entire game, the two of them. And they're big chances. And this has been a, an issue at United for a long time, all the way back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We had this issue at times where it was a bit feast or famine because we'd make a few big chances per game, but not a lot of chances throughout the game. And, and it is harder to get used to, like when you're informed, then that's great. Cause you score the big chances, you rack up the goals. It's like three chances, three goals. When you're out of form, it's really hard. Um, because it's just, it's not like you're peppering the goal, you know, you're getting shots left and right, you know, small chances that are adding up. It's like big, big chances. And, um, and, and with Hoyland, you know, in the league, he'll go a whole game without getting chances. I know he had them versus Luton, but the I mean, last game, I don't think he had any. United, he's definitely had them. You know? He's had them, but is it, it's not a lot. I mean, it's no, it's not com- great. I mean, if yeah. you at, uh, but if I was looking at the statistic about how many shots Holland's had on goal yeah. um, versus Hoyland, like United are 20th in the league. Yep. For goals from set pieces. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, so yep. this is definitely a bigger issue. But to me, goals change games. You know, if they you do. don't take your do. first chance, your second chance, how many times are we seeing you know, start a game really well? Yeah. Not take the first two chances. The other team goes up with pitch. How many times do they need to take a chance? They take it right away. Yeah. Right? I they know. I agree with you. Five, six chances. Right. You yeah. need to need five. So if you don't take that chance that comes to you early in the game, Right, like I remember the Liverpool game at Old Trafford where United get beat five. Bruno Fernandes yep. should have scored in the first three minutes of that game. Yep. Completely changes the game. Right, yep. I agree. This is the thing: is that is at this level, if you don't take a chance, you surrender momentum because the other team will, and especially when you're mentally weak, when you when you don't, everything falls apart. Right? Yeah, you have to take these chances and. When team isn't playing well with, with, with no confidence, you won't create a lot because it's all linked. If the forward doesn't take the chance, the midfielder doesn't get confidence. They created it because they don't yep. get an assist and it's all, it's all, it's all linked. And the way United are set up, they're not set up to play with a central striker because of yep. the way their wingers play, right? So there really is – Ten Hag has to find a way to get Marcus Rashford in the team. The problem with Frank getting Marcus Rashford in the team is with – when he's on form, he's a very good left winger. When he's not on form, he doesn't give you much else because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to create. 
right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, they know he's created Roy Hoyland's goal against Galatasaray, right? but it's not in his instinct to to want to create. So, if he's not giving you goals, you don't get much else. So, with City's wingers, yeah. you know, Doku, Foden, they're all, they're constantly creating. Right? You look at you know, Chelsea's wingers, you know, they're constantly creating. Uh, ball straight across the box right away, goal. You know, I see a, 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 um and, and this is part of the problem is like uh, they they don't United United players don't do that. And so mm-hmm. so this is what impressed me the most about Copenhagen, first couple of minutes, McCamney right across the box goal. But yeah. on the few occasions that it does happen, Hoyland has to take that chance. He yeah. has to score. I'm sorry, like that is a really yeah. bad miss. And if yeah. he's done that quite a few times this season, where he's had, you know, should have scored that chance against Man City at one 0 Right, straight through on goal, doesn't take it, um, or or go down. Right, yep. he needs to, those are, Harry Kane takes that chance. Harry Kane goes yep. straight through goal, that's a goal. Those yeah. things make a big difference. <clears throat> I agree. I agree. They do. When when you make, yeah, I mean, the chances have to be scored, especially the big ones that they're creating. They do have to be scored. They can't be missing those certainly. And and you know, I understand that it's it's difficult. And I think that part of the you know, part of it is they have to maintain focus, but this is a problem throughout the club. When you look at it, if you think about them at two different ends, right? If you think about the problems, they're almost reflected on the, on the attacking front, they might go a while without a chance. And then the chance pops up. And in that one moment, they can't score mm-hmm. and they should the exact same thing right happens at the defensive side. Running roll, yeah. Uh, running roll past the post, yeah. everything. Yep. And the yep. way straight through, he tries to score it, makes a mess of it, spurs yep. away. Bruno Fernandez yep. header right in front of the goal, puts it over yep. the bar. Rashford misses yep. a great chance, and Spurs go up the other end to score. Yep. These are, yep. These, are, these are key moments. That I you, know. Your, which is where you have to rely on quality players to be able to do a basic job. And this is where you really see the consequence of not sending world-class players. If you yep. had done what Ten Hag needed and got him a world-class striker to like Harry Kane, mm-hmm. yet it would not be sitting on one goal in the forward line. And, and, that, and that is a fact. Totally you know, that, that is a fact. He's a, he's a 19-year-old, and, and this is kind of unfortunately what you expected. But, you know, this is all comes points back to the biggest problem with United recruitment when you're talking about Varane, you're talking about these players as well, is it's not just a mishmash of profiles. It's a, it's a And this is why, you know, when you take that thing where Ineos apparently, you know, Sir Jim Ratcliffe said that the Casemiro transfer was a bad transfer. You got to look at part of the reason why when you look at what they're doing, you have to kind of commit one way or another to the direction that the club is taking. When you sign a player like Rasmus Hoyland, it's going to take years for him to get up to speed to be at the requisite level. It's going to take years. You And if you are in instantly reliant on him, I'm not saying you shouldn't score the goals, but if you're instantly reliant on a 19-year-old when because you have a 30-year-old center back who's won five Champions League, on the other side of the field and is not patient to wait around through three rebuild seasons, you're going to have problems. And and this is a big part of it. When you look at it, you, you can't sign Moran and Casemiro who need to win in the next year or two. And at the same si- time, sign a 19 year old who's not ready and an 80 million winger who's not ready. You, you can't, these are, this is a mixture of, of a whole mess of things. And it's even a big part of the mistake that United made in bringing Ronaldo back under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, they weren't ready for Cristiano Ronaldo. Whatever you know went wrong with all of that, they weren't ready for Cristiano Ronaldo to take them to you know winning titles. The team wasn't ready. They weren't prepared. They weren't in that position. 
And um, it, it, is a, it is a problem. I mean, that, that's just a problem kind of across the board with how things have been run, different profiles of players, different profiles of goals, different things. And, and yeah, if, if you wanted to get a world-class striker in, then that's what you got to get. You know, if you're going to get somebody who you need goals now and that's where you're aiming, then you have to get that. Not someone who's not ready, not someone who has nine goals in their career and who will become a good player. Um, he will. But, you know, if you yeah. want to develop young players, you have to bring them into a very specific environment. You can't bring them into an environment of chaos yep. where even the senior players are desperate to get out. Because yeah. young players will follow the lead of the experienced players. And if the experienced players are saying, I don't want to be here, you have no chance yeah. of developing a young player. Zero. Yeah. If you look at Alan Shearer's goal scoring record at Southampton versus Blackburn and Newcastle when he's playing in better teams, right? I mean, I think his record at Southampton was almost one in four, right? Then he starts becoming prolific at different teams because he's getting chances, then he's maturing, right? So um, <clears throat> if. Um, you bring Rasmus Hoyland into a football club like Manchester United that is complete chaos, right? Yep. That has nobody protecting him. Where the focus is, you know, young players should be allowed to have periods where they don't score goals, where, you know, the, the focus isn't constantly on them. Even Marcus Rashford finds his focus very difficult when he doesn't score. Yep. You know, the, the pressure is enormous. There should be other world-class players that take that pressure yep. off. Because if you're winning games 2-3-0 and Rashford doesn't score, the focus isn't there. But if you're yeah. not winning, yeah. then that focus is there on other players. The thing is, United don't have that. So yep. it's constant chaos, right? Yep. And... You know, I remember when United were playing in the Club World Cup in 99 and they asked Ferguson about playing his youth team in the first in the NFA Cup third round. And he said, we're here to build careers, not ruin them. Because if you put right. young players in at the wrong time, their confidence gets destroyed very, very quickly, especially when you're a young player coming into a new league like the Premier League. Rasmus Hoyle will be asking them questions, can I play in this league? Right? Yep. And that, to me, is probably one of the reasons why he hasn't scored in the Premier League and he can score in the Champions League because he hasn't completely convinced himself he's at that Premier League level yet. Right? Yep. This is where he needs help. So, yep. you know, if you're sitting there, Rasmus Horland's playing, you know, coming on in games, you know, starting, you know, some games, coming on in games, and United are playing well, we're seeing a whole different player, a whole different development, everything. Right? Yep. But in a situation where there's constant chaos, you can't develop young players in that environment, you will ruin them. They, I mean, even even the, even world-class players will decline in that environment. I mean, how many players can you think of have left United over the last seven, eight, nine years and went yeah. on to bigger and better things? I mean, yeah. I, I was trying to think, of maybe one of the only yeah. ones that I can think about where they were still retained at a decent level was Lukaku. You know, after, after I think of Pogba, I think Di Maria you know, had a pretty good career after. Yeah, but Di Maria, even after United, um, really took you know, a little bit, but PSG, but he didn't win a Champions League. I mean, yeah. he, I don't know if he, I mean, certainly the player that he was when he left Real Madrid, yeah, um, his reputation had diminished by the time he got to PSG, but yep. for the most part, you know, most of the yeah, players I know that move on, yeah. are, I mean, David De Gea can't find another football club. Can't even defend yeah. another football club. I look at so many of these other players and I'm going, you know, it's not like they, they you know, this United experience has been good for them. The thing is, is you, now with players who have a choice, they're going, I don't want to go there, right? Because uh -huh. it's not set up to develop. 
The other thing is United aren't trying to win the league. Right? They're just trying to finish in the top four. So there's so many other things that are broken. And when they miss that target, they usually miss it by a couple of places, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, somewhere around, around about there. Right. And if they if they get there, they usually get there by a very narrow margin. If you go back to the year Solskjaer got there, you got there in the very last game. Right. Yep. You go back to last season, right? I mean, it was touch and go up until yeah. the very until the final end. three or four games. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. When they're getting in the top four, typically it's by the skin of their teeth. And when they miss it, you know, so this is this is the target, is trying to make sure we just get in the top four. And sometimes they get there, sometimes they don't, but it usually depends on a couple of other clubs that aren't, you know, that are having bad seasons, Liverpool, Chelsea, yeah. what have you. So um, to me, I think um, the, the the environment inside the club is so atrocious that no professional, it's not a professional environment. Yeah. Uh, there's other things going on with players and um, complete disharmony in the staff. And, you know, you'll have staff not coming into work. You have staff looking to move on. You have, you know, dysfunctional departments. And, um I think you know it's it's really hard to get a, a functioning football team out of that environment. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, it's uh, it, it's to the point where I think that I mean, if if you came into work uh, and you could imagine what kind of environment it is when the people above you around the whole place have no future there, or think they have no future there or act like they have no future there and there's no alignment and there's nobody really, you know, mining the store or running the place. You can imagine what kind of culture and environment that that would breed uh, among the people involved. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, that is what it comes down to. And, you know, I, I've gone back and forth on the manager side of things, but I've looked at it and thought, you know, you've got the uh, way I described it to, to some people was that the way I can see it is you have, you have all these different kind of things that have to be going right. And some of them, the manager is responsible for, and some of them, they're not. Sure. And you can make an argument either way. You can make yeah, an argument. Exactly. You can have yeah. an argument to keep them. I, I completely agree yeah. with that. No, and, and it's like, but it, here's the thing, right? Is, is if you take things like, you've got things like tactics, you've got things like training, you've got things like fitness, you have things like relationships and, and, and all of that. And you have things like the culture and the, the harmony of the squad and all of that. Maybe in the 90s, in the 2000s, you would say the manager is responsible for all of that and that they're going to just do all of that and they're going to take care of all of that. But you don't have social media at that point in time. You don't have the transient nature of football at that time. I mean, players mostly stayed in their country. They mostly stayed at teams, you know, within the leagues for long periods of time. Um, you have a lot less money in football. You have a totally different world. In the modern day, most of the time, the manager is set up to say, you're going to coach, you're going to be the tactics, you're going to do tactics, you're going to do training, and you're going to get them going on match day. The environment of the club, the fitness, the, the diet, you know, mm -hmm. the, the food that's involved, the, the culture, this is all something that's really set from on high and managed from on high at most successful clubs in these days. And I'm not saying it's, it's good everywhere. Um, but you have managers that will come in with different strengths and you're going to constantly bounce back and forth with arguments on is the manager at fault? Is there not at fault because of that? You can have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer come in and say, well, he's, he was a great man manager and he was great at creating a positive environment where there was a togetherness. 
But then there's all these critiques about his tactics and play and things like that. And then you get Eric Ten Hag, and it's kind of the opposite. And you get Jose Mourinho, who kind of was sort of old, is sort of an old school manager who tries to do everything, and was kind of maybe too negative for United's way of thinking. But all of that is going to continually bounce around until you have proper leadership from on high. And and I was I was speaking to somebody about this, and 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 they were you know, looking into some things for me that I was asking about. And, and certainly the biggest feedback that, that I got and, and that I see as the biggest problem today, you know, at United is um, based on the things that they were telling me were really number one, there is no leadership at Manchester United. There's none. Don't get it wrong. There is none. The manager does not count in that sense. Cause that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about leadership. The manager is an employee. The manager is, you know, appointed to run some people on the pitch and all of that. But he actually has no responsibility for what happens outside of that training ground, frankly. He has no control over any of that. He has no, that is not his job and it shouldn't be, frankly. But there's really no leadership out there. Um, we know that with the Glazers, but it goes down from the top all the way through the levels that there is no leadership, you know, being provided. And, and that reflects itself on the pitch, like you've said many times, what you see on the pitch soften a, a reflection of, of what's there. And it's the same thing. When you have no leaders at the club, there's no leaders at the club well above the pitch. And, you know, and then in addition to that, which I think there's there's an interesting story today that kind of reflects some of this um, without getting into too much detail. You do have a simple matter right now that, and I'm sure it's been this way since summer, but it's it gets worse by the day. Um, nobody knows what the future holds for them at this club. They don't know tomorrow, many of them, if they're going to have a job there. That's kind of normal in the circumstances that we're talking about. Any type of takeover, any type of transition, any type of change of control in a company usually comes with major changes and uncertainties, and it does. But there is, tying back to this point of leadership, there is a distinct, a distinct lack of clarity being provided, you know, obviously from the Glazers through this process, as we know, but also from, you know, in, in, in you can't just pretend that it's all going to plan and nothing's happening within the club. And that's really a, in, in a lot of ways how it's been treated. Here's the thing, James, about leadership. Okay. For you to have leaders, you have to have a very clear direction. Yep. Who you were? Okay. What's your goal? Okay. The problem with United is they don't have, really have a sport and goal. They have leadership on the business side because they have exceptional people and exceptional departments. You know, what was it they said about the commercial department? You know, still being the envy of the world. They pulled off the Adidas deal. They pulled off the Snapdragon dealers. Leadership, there are plenty of it. Very clear accountability structure very clear incentive structure, very clear definition of success, and a very clear direction on where they want their executives to take Manchester United. One of the, I mean, we, we've been talking about lack of leaders at United since David Moyes. Yeah. And one of the reasons why there's a lack of leadership is because there is no clear direction. There's yeah. no clearly defined goal. So I don't believe in that environment you're going to get leaders that are going on yeah. hard because there is no defend goal. So the Glazers aren't sitting down with United at the start of the season saying we must win 
at all costs. We will give you whatever support you need to make sure that happens. We will provide you with the best sporting departments, the best this, the best this, the best this, and we will make sure that we are unequivocal in our support of that goal. If we don't reach that goal, it will be defended's failure and every single one of our futures will be evaluated as a result of that. That doesn't happen, yep. right? So they're directionless and it's exactly what you see on the pitch where there is no clearly defined goal. So you're not going to get leaders in that environment. So until you get a sporting department that is completely aligned with those sporting goals that turns around and says, the only defining factor of whether a player or a manager or these departments are successful will be whether they win trophies or not. And that yeah. will determine whether they play, whether they stay, whether they get new contracts. I mean, Joe Dawson on a five-year contract. Are you insane? Right? So this is part of the problem, is that the football club don't have a very clear football defined successful goal so um really difficult to get leadership because the thing is is that it's not just leadership from players on the pitch it's leadership from the sporting department defined okay we're going we know exactly where we're going we know what sentence we're going to make we know what 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 what, what, what players need to replace and we have a prescient vision that we can implement over a couple of years but it's always oh why, why was casemiro signed and no one else why mm-hmm. was you know, all these last minute deals done because there is no vision. So you're, it, it's impossible. And and look, what you said there about, you know, 90s, you could have did this, did this. But we know about sports science now. These are all disciplines in themselves that take years yep. and years and years of training. Expertise, what we know about nutrition, what we know about, um, you know, physiological responses in the body, about rest, about tailor and customized training uh, methods to each individual based on their physiology, their biology. These are all, you know, degrees that take years to get. Yeah. Then they have to be integrated so that there's an optimal strategy for this particular athlete based on their biology to get the uh, optimal performance from them. Yep. You yep. can't just turn around and go, you know, I will just get here, just eat some pasta and get on the pitch. Right. You That won't happen. Yeah. So to me, the problem is none of those departments are fit for a purpose. Yep. And so you yep. see what you see. You see constant injuries. You see players that are aimless, players that are directionless, because that's exactly what's happening off the pitch. So yep. um, Ten Hag, just, you know, lots of reasons to criticism. I mean, the whole Mason Mount thing is, is yeah. to me. I that, mean, one is that one is baffling. That one is baffling. There's no, is, yeah. Mason Mount to me, I don't I think know. He played I, well too again when he came on. Yeah, again, he played on. well. Yeah. Maybe I've missed this, right? So, and I'll tell you one other thing that bothers me about Ten Hag. Why hasn't he been asked in the same way that Rafael Varane was asked about? Why is he being left out for tactical reasons? Why is he not playing? Because I haven't heard him being asked that question. The other thing that bothers me, he should have been at Bobby Charlton's funeral today, right? Now, he may have had a good reason. Uh, and I'm not telling anyone else how to feel about this, but that's important to me. It bothered me when the Glazers didn't go to the Munich Memorial. I think there are certain things that you need to be at as a Manchester United manager. Bobby Charlton is one of the uh, 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 most defining figures of Manchester United's history. And you should be at his funeral. Manchester City sent representatives there. They sent, they sent Soriano, Summerby was there. You should be there. So I don't know what that unbreakable commitment was that said 
you couldn't be at Bobby Charlton's funeral, but that's a bad look. You should be at his funeral, especially at a time where you've needed United fans' support. Maybe other fans have feel differently about this. That's up to them. But to me, that's something he should be at. And I can't think... And there may be a really good reason why he's not there. But that, to me, is a bad look. You should be at Bobby Charlton's funeral. Yeah, I understand that for sure. I do understand it. And, you know, um, you know, they don't have to give a reason. But if you don't give a what reason, it is, you, you know, but it but it but it does have to be understood that if you don't, what the perception will be. Yeah, because know, that gap won't be filled in charitably by people. Yeah. So if there's a really, really good legitimate yeah. reason, you should give a reason. Yeah. For this yeah, reason. And, and I would I would say that, you know, when it comes down to perception and things like that, I mean it, it, it's 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 gonna come off bad. It's just it's going to come off perceived poorly. Um, you know, you have obviously English players from United there, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, Tom Heaton, these guys coming coming in. And, you know, I think it's an example of, I guess, here's the question I would have for you. This all comes back to it. Would you not say that CEO, someone like Richard Arnold should be saying, you know what, everybody's going to be there. Yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree. You all have to be there. The entire team, Mm -hmm. top to bottom. Yeah, I completely agree. Every staff, you show up and you be there. 100%. They obviously haven't made that direction. They should have. They should have. Well, they should have. Because I think it would mean something. Yeah, I understand that 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 happens. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) But everybody, locals, you know, anybody who can could be there. You know, and and um, as a as an order, as a direction, mm-hmm. publicly, visibly, and it's not about making a show, but it is about respect, and it is about respect to the fans, 100%. and that that is a part of the leadership. I mean, I I don't know everybody who was there, um, but I know that a lot of senior staff were yes. there either. You know, and it's it's it's, it's a type of thing you only get, you, you yeah. get noticed if you don't go. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that to me says. That, that to me is something that bothered me. Maybe it's Patty, you know, or maybe, you know, it, it, but it, it bothered me. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's not above criticism. And to me, um, United football has been unwatchable this season. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I will say in his slight defense, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, but once again, United's two penalty decisions that weren't given this weekend were Harry McGuire. Oh, I know. Then watching the one that City get again. It's embarrassing. You know, this, is, this, this is this is this is exactly what it is. This is a total embarrassment to football yeah. every single week. I mean, yeah. this the VAR is making a mockery of the sport. It is Dermot Gallagher's being asked to go on TV every week and bullshit his way through things, <laughs> right? which he clearly is. And I understand he wants to back yeah. his colleagues, right? But you cannot turn around and say, I can understand why uh, Anthony Taylor gives the Cougaray a penalty on Holland and then somehow decide that it wasn't a penalty for Maguire, which was yeah. far more egregious. He's being yeah. held, wrestled to the ground. How is yeah. it not a penalty? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous every single week. The, I know. The, and here's the thing that bothers me, Rick, is the inconsistency. It is, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about Ando. Yep, twice yeah. in the last yeah. week. So watch, twice. Yeah. Thomas Frank's talking about it after the game, you know, and going, <clears throat> How is it the two human beings can look at that? One can decide one's a sending off, and the other one can decide that it's not. Yep. When 
I can understand disparities between subjective stuff, but this is ridiculous. Every yep. single week, the game is embarrassed because you yep. have it being destroyed by this over nonsense, and yep. you're being left to question where half the time, I don't even know what I'm watching. What, I know. Um, what, 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 you're waiting. It, it, there, it, it has changed from just trying to catch major things that have been missed to trying to find something wrong with every single goal, mm -hmm. every single action. So every time someone scores, you're thinking, okay, offsides, all right. They're going to look at that, obviously, to see if it's – it should be to see if it's egregious, you know, but it should be automated too, the way that it's it can be done and has been done in other leagues successfully. And then they're looking at, is there any slight thing that could be wrong in the buildup, any slight interference, any slight – you know, this or that, except sometimes they don't look. So I don't know, you know. I mean, Lindelof went to VAR. And then by the yeah. time it was, was given him, I, I feel like I've just been given a goal by a court order here. I, I know, know, I know. Like, what well, are they? I'm not this cancer not. Okay, okay. We'll 11 players, this. look at every United player on the pitch. Are they going back and watching a 10-second video of Onana to see what he's doing at the other end before they can count the goal? It's, it's, it is ridiculous. And – that was that did not seem to be the intention of this whole thing. That was not the pro professed intention. There's nothing major missed. There's nothing major missed. It, it takes a five second scan to see if there's anything major missed. I mean, I'll even say they spent a long time looking at Man City's goal that Holland scored. The winner kind of comes off his oh, leg. Oh, I And I was like, what's that? Yeah, right. I know he's they're they're tumbled together, sliding, and he's like in the goal. So if it hit his elbow at that point in time, so what? I know. Honestly, like who cares? It, it has no effect on the game. It means nothing. It the is so outside the spirit of the of the of the but, of the ruling and everything. It's like he was more likely to stop it with his elbow than score with it, and it's it, it's stupid. It's you just. Know what I don't understand about that. I was yeah. watching that. And I'm going to they disallow this, they're going to have to explain to me. I think it was Crystal Palace <laughs> where yep. Edward Penner Old Trafford, the ball gets knocked over and he handles the ball with his back to goal and it doesn't yeah. give him. Right? Yeah. And going, you're going to have to explain to me how Holland, <laughs> who is actually, you can see he's trying to get his arm out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Not sliding on the ground, yeah. The ball, yeah. But the if I think it was Rice for the ball was crossed over to Rice for his in the box. Yeah. Palace defender, I think it was Ward, um, handles the ball. And I can see why it's not given because he's not living yeah. the ball, right? Yeah. I mean, it's an accident. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But then Dermot was on the TV yeah. one week saying, yes, 100% should have been given. No, I can see why it wasn't given. You know, And then you ask him to explain it, right? And it sounds like me, whenever, you know, you haven't done your homework and you're going, <laughs> You know, it's just a million yeah. mouth bunch of bullshit that clearly yeah. is bullshit. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, when I, when I come home, you know, has a kid, mm -hmm. my mom asked me what I was doing last night, you know, yeah, um, you know, starting speaking wingdings, you know, you're like, this is stupid. Yeah. You know, like, this is, this is, he's clearly bullshitting his way through this. This is, this yep. is, like, there's no technical definition as to why this is a free kick or this is a penalty. And I yep. can give you so many examples of that. I mean, to me, yep. if the Man City penalty last week is a penalty, high as Hoyle, it's not at Arsenal. Yeah, I know. I There's mean, so I mean, many. It's just There's ridiculous. so many. I yeah. mean, but this is the thing. Like, United have not, have, have overwhelmingly yep. come at the wrong end of these.
Oh yeah, they need a bit of a break sometimes. But James, I've said this said this last week. When you turn a split second decision into a decision that takes three, four yep. minutes, like any human being, they're going to start yep. considering their priors. They're going to start considering who the player is, the impact, who the manager is, what's the media going to say. All these things are going to factor into the decision that they make, right? As yep. it would if you and I were making them, because that's just human nature. So they're yep. going to go, this is a 50-50. If I give it, am I going to be all over the media all week? They're going to tear me apart. If I don't give it, no one's going to say anything, right? Yep. I'm just not going to give it. I mean, we saw what um, Meg Dean said with Anthony Taylor, with Chelsea. When Chelsea yeah. said, I didn't want to, you know, get my colleague any more grief, so I just decided not to tell him. That yeah, yeah. is happening all the time. Oh, yeah, every day, every single well, day. And every single day they're worried about what, what it's going to look like when they give a – if they call it in favor of United, yeah. So they start – yeah, and there's no question. There's zero consequence for yep. not giving United decisions. But if you give United even something that should be given, like yep. the penalty that Rashford got, uh, he was it against. Um, uh, was it? Man, we've had like uh, one, one decision all year, so I can't remember. Remember, he, he was in the box, was past the fact, forget that he made a good penalty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a uh, Nottingham Forest. It was a Forest. Yeah, yeah. comeback. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Gabiak won the horse, spontaneously combusted, right? And it was you a know, penalty. I mean, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and even the, the one against Arsenal last season where yeah. Ericsson's fouled in the build-up. It's a foul. wasn't a massive foul. You're going, they, yeah. Even when they get decisions that are correct, yeah. it's not acceptable people because they're so conditioned to you know, yeah. be opposed. Anyway, yeah. it, just, it, it, it is completely misused. Yeah. And football has a serious problem with this until yeah. it uh, understands that at the end of the day, when you're still using it for a human being's opinion, it really doesn't help. And even what is a clear and obvious error is still someone's opinion. Yep. Right? Because a minor infraction that leads to a goal can be a clear and obvious area or yep. an error or a big infraction. And yep. still what what is a clear and obvious error that should root out a goal is still going to come down to someone's opinion. Yeah. It has tremendous benefit utility on goal line technology and all that, but I'd say yep. that. I've run yeah. forever about this. Uh, quickly, let me talk to you about uh, Hoyland's injury and um, you know Ericsson's injury. Hoyland is one that really concerns me. Both of them pulled out of the Denmark squad. What what happens if he's out for a few, for a month or so? Yeah, we're in trouble, aren't we? If Hoyland's out, I mean, you, you'll stick Rashford back at, at uh, a striker. Um, m- maybe he'll find some form there. Maybe not. You know, it's hard to say. It's a difficult position. I thought he actually did pretty well the first few games having to play there. Um, you know, running low on options, though, because then you're, you're you're going back to Garnacho, you know, Rashford, Anthony. You don't really have any other options. Sancho's banished. He was available in the first few weeks when Hoyland wasn't there. So, right. um, well, let me yeah, ask you. It's trouble. This. Yeah. The sense is that Ineos will have their feet under the desk before the end of this international window. Um, does that mean that they will put case in so that United can go out and spend in January? Because it seems to be they could mitigate FFB if they put money in. So yeah. they needed some room for maneuver. <clears throat> and I think if they had some money in January, they need to get a and for me a striker and a sandbag. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's going to be a lot to do with outs. Um, one of the positives I just say on the injury front is Luke Shaw should be back in the in the squad. 
for Everton after the break. He's they need him back. Everton, well, yeah. yeah. I think Wambasaka's illness in this case was actually illness, as I heard he was in the squad that morning um, and the night before. And so I think in this case, it actually was illness. Let's hope. Um, but that would be big, you know, having most all of them. Everybody Is it or something? Because it seems like a lot of them are going down with illness. I don't want to say yes, but let's say that I think there's been a couple um, okay. seasonal viruses and things going around too through the through the United team in the last few months. Uh, last few weeks, I should say. And um, yeah, so so that'll be a big return. But, you know, if they put money in for anything, it does count as investment as long as it's not a loan, you know, then, yeah, it can free up space on FFP and allow for for uh, for some movements in January. I think that getting some players out will be a factor there when you have, uh, for, I even forgot Anthony Martial existed when you asked what happened. Yeah, she'd release him. Injured, but uh, I, it's a song, you know, it's six months left in January, just cut a contract. I feel it. sorry for him. Just pay it out and sign somebody. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel sorry for the guy because clearly you don't just say. It. I mean, for the same reason, I feel sorry for Phil Jones. Yeah, his body's um, broken down. It's yeah, but he's just not capable of being playing yep. for that one more. But yeah, so I just I, I I wonder if that will. Here's the other question though: If they move for players in January, who's going to decide on who the target is? Yeah, will they have enough time? Are they? Who are they looking at? You know. Because at that point in time, maybe they've been looking for quite a while. I mean, I think they've done a lot more groundwork than people think in terms of looking at things ahead of time. The advantage of them owning Nice is that they already have a scouting network. They already have data on a lot of players. They have players at Nice that could be potential options. Like we know that, you know, uh, Todibo is, is like, I think, is a transfer that's going to happen. January or summer, I think Todibo is a transfer that's going to happen. It makes It makes sense for everybody involved. Um, there's other players there that could be of interest to United, certainly. Um, but they have a lot of data and they have a lot of data about United too. They've gathered a lot of information from United. You know, they, 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 they might have a lot of information that will help them make, make a decision. Mm. I think outs are going to be a factor either way though, because you have to deal with situations like the Jaden Sancho situation where you have a totally from, from a literal perspective, useless 350,000 a week going. You have to figure out something to do with that um, one way or another. And I think that's going to be a little bit telling how they deal with that. Are they going to come in and try to fix the relationship to give Ten Hag an option? Um, maybe. I'm not saying without undermining the manager. I think there's potentially a, a route back there, but I don't know. Um, but those are the types of the decisions that are going to have to be made. And who are they deciding for? Do they want to make long-term decisions? Because that also factors in to the overall football plan to the direction that you're traveling? Do you have enough data to make that decision? Do you have enough data to say, you know that Ten Hag is going to be there after this year? Do you want to make permanent signings? There's a lot of factors that are going to have, come, have to come into back, that um, decision-making process to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes of the past and end up getting players as well that you don't want six months from now or a year from now, because those can hold you back and set you back years in terms of progress and you know, when you factor in FFP, it's all good to say, you know, they'll cut them loose quicker. But if you still lose value on them, you're still losing value on them and uh, and you're still causing problems for yourself. And I think that in an ideal world, uh, and, and I want to ask you something about the manager's side of that in a second. I think in an ideal world, Ineos would come in and not have to do anything in January. Mm. Players, manager, anything. Let the season play out. 
get Champions League and be able to make a lot of decisions come summer. I think in an ideal world, that's what they would want because it makes the most sense in terms of preparation, in terms of the long term. It's not going to be that fast. You know, they can make appointments and things, but it, it still is not going to be that fast, you know, for all the changes that, that you want to make. I think there's things they can do, mind you. But I think ideally you don't make too many long-term decisions in January um, when you're only a month in to the club, you know, to being in place um, because you're more liable to make mistakes that way than, than, than other otherwise. And, you know, and that, and that comes to the manager too. You know, I wanted to ask you, there's a, there's a, your perspective on this. There's, there's an article today about uh, from ESPN about, you know, United not speaking with agents because they're worried it's going to turn to a manager discussion. What do you think of that? So just want to quickly say something what you just said. Yeah. I would like to believe that with any of us who have known that this is going to happen for a yeah. while, have been thinking about these questions. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm sure you're right. The mm-hmm. Mitchell three months ago and said, okay, identify strikers for January yeah. because they met with Ten Hag and he told them what they needed, right? So I'd like mm-hmm. to believe that yeah. not only will they have identified those players, but they will be looking at signings that are independent of whether the manager wants them or not. So if they decide that we want Gabriel Barbosa from Flamengo because we think he's suitable to the style that we want to play. Great that Ten Hag wants him too, but these are signings that we're going to start making independent of whether, because that's what the sporting department is supposed to be doing. So I would like to believe that they aren't going to put the feet on the desk. Okay, now let's start looking at players, right? I'd like yep. to believe, like yep. you said, that they've been you've got a database on this. So I would hope that they're ready to uh, execute on that in January. Normally, you're right. They, you know, January is a nightmare, but United are in such a unique situation yep. that they must do something. And they sent Fernandez in January. You know, Liverpool sent Luis Diaz yep. in January. You can get good signings if you're yep. if you do it right. Um, and you know, Ranić told them to do it. They didn't do it. They cost them. They should have did it last January properly. They yep. didn't do it. They end up saying, you know, Veghorst and Sabitzer. They need to do it properly this, this January. Yep. As for the other stuff, so you know, have been weirdly sensitive to any um, speculation about Ten Hag's future, which mm-hmm. is something I don't really understand unless you're trying to suppress something. Because if like you said last week, if we were to turn around and write a story that said Bruno Fernandez is about to sign for Newcastle United, it would be ridiculed as something that is so absurd that you know mm-hmm. doesn't even require any any condemnation or yeah. any you know <clears throat> correction. So usually when you're trying to suppress something, there's a agenda, there's a reason for that. Yeah. You had to put a story out two, three weeks ago saying that Ten Hag's future was absolutely not in question. And I don't think that it probably is to the point where you need to be seriously concerned. I mean, I doubt any of us are going to make that decision until they've had time to work with Ten Hag, but this just speaks to, once again, the complete dysfunction of the football club that, you know, we're not going to talk to agents, which means you can't sign players because we don't want them to ask about our manager. I mean, why can't you turn around to an agent and say, look, nobody's guaranteed to be here. You know, it could be that any of us come in and and say that we, we don't want them, but Remember, you're not just signing for Ten Hag, you're signing for our sporting director, you're signing for the football club, and whether he's here or not, we'll get a manager in that, you know, is similar style of play, Um, and as long as you perform, you have nothing to worry about. So to me, I just think that's totally absurd, but you think, you know, the situation where the people that would sack Ten Hag, you know, are essentially out the door anyway. Yeah. So I don't think an editor in a position you know, to give any assurances on futures because they're not in a position to give assurances on their own future. 
So, um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, that is completely unsustainable and that's something why this whole Ineos thing has to get wrapped up this week. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> because, you know, the way as I, as I understand it, looking at it from Ineos' perspective, they want to see performances improve. At the end of well, the day, true. they're coming in, you have to see performances improve. 100%. When, you, when you have players return, when you have injuries coming back, but in general, you just want to see performances improve. You want to see the biggest way? Right, yeah. I mean, I, they don't want to make a change, but it's not ridiculous to think that when they're hiring people and they're looking at this whole thing, that they're going to be thinking with contingencies, that they're going to be looking at all the options on the table because anyone competent would. Absolutely. And one of the biggest problems with United is they don't have those contingencies. Mm -hmm. They don't do it for players. They don't do it for managers. They don't do it for anybody. Absolutely. So when Jose Mourinho, it's time to go, they had no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. And they lucked into, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and he had a good run of form and they hired him. There was no plan. There was no no plan. There was no thinking. It was random, you know? And, um, so anybody's going to look at contingencies and look at these kind of things, but the situation is they want to see it improve and they hope it will pers- improve through the season so that he can stay and that it does well. And then they can assess everything, you know, long-term, you know, from, from there. It's not like Eric Ten Hag is under, is you know, they're going to come in and sack him tomorrow and things like that. It's nothing's like that. It, it's not like that at all. Anybody, Ineos coming in, they're going to want to assess the situation. And anybody who's running the club is going to want to see their performances improve from how they've been over the season. There's just no doubt about that. Um, so I don't think there's anything immediate for anybody to worry about except everybody else at the club because there's certainly going to be changes all over the place um, when they come in. And the expectation is still that the deal will be wrapped up this week or next week. You know, during this international. Yeah, I know, I know. And and obviously, you know, one of the things I want to make clear on this too, the moment this is done, it has to be announced to the New York Stock Exchange because this is a, a material issue, mm-hmm. you know, that affects shareholders and all that. This cannot be something. And so when you're getting this vagueness about when it's going to be announced, I think some of that's on purpose. Yeah. Because you can't say, oh, we're we're gonna we're gonna announce it on November 20th. Right. You can't. You cannot say that. You legally, you, you'd be getting a whole boatload of trouble by saying something like that right now. It's got to be practically instantaneous. Um, last year, Mark Kleiman put his story out on November 22nd, which this year is the day before Thanksgiving in the U.S. Um, November 22nd, he put out a story saying they were going to make an announcement about strategic review, and it came within hours. And I think that's what you're going to see in this instance, too. It's going to be vague, and then it'll be it's coming right now and it's going to be hours later. Everybody knows about it or at the same time, um, because that's how it has to be. And I, and I, and I hope it's this week. I hope that happens and we get some, something coming in and there may be some temporary un- instability and uncertainty like there already is, but it should pay off in the long term for yeah, everybody look, I mean, involved. They just need to start getting, making these appointments yep. um, so that the club can function properly. Um, exactly. You know, there's so many, so many things we didn't get to that's going on inside the United States. Um, or so. time. <laughs> yes. But uh, thanks to all of you for downloading the podcast, for getting in touch as always, folks. Um, thanks for um, following us. And uh, you'll go follow my friend here and getting all your feedback. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, we'll be back next week, even though it's an international break, unless... Um, something big happens in the meantime with Ineos and we'll reach out to our friend and see what we can find out so take it easy James see you later mate yep you too see you cheers folks bye